Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're talking about the gift of prophecy. We're teaching on spiritual gifts in our Wednesday night services. But as I stated before, it doesn't matter what we teach on. I believe the Spirit of God has a way of saying things and causing people to hear things that will reach out to meet their need wherever they're at. Amen? And that's why there should be interaction, not only between ourselves and God, reaching out to God, believing, but also caring about each other, one another. Because I believe as we present our petitions before the Lord and as we, of course, are concerned about interceding and standing in the gap and filling up the hedge, that spiritual activity begins to take place. And then God moves upon the hearts of people and manifests Himself in the gifts of the Spirit, the Word of wisdom, the Word of knowledge, and all the other manifestations of the Holy Ghost in effort to reach out and meet the needs of people. Now, Father, as we approach Your Holy Word, we do so with reverence and humility, knowing that we can trust our lives to its provisions, knowing that Your Word is tested to be good, trustworthy, true, and faithful, knowing that it causes us, dear Father God, to rise up to a place with You where we can experience not only joy but victory in every area of our lives. I thank You for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim and accurately proclaim the Word of truth that that knowledge may set us free. I thank You for ears to hear, for Your Word will not fall upon deaf ears. Hearts will receive, minds are open, as an act of our will will not be distracted. Spirit of God... Enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness, that we may go forth from this place, change people in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let that be the cry of your heart, Lord. Quicken me according unto your word. God is restoring the operation of the gifts of the Spirit to the church. We've heard that time and time again. It's a positive statement. It's the voice of the Spirit. But the statement itself, although positive, implies or indicates to all of us that the enemy has been successful in silencing the operations of the Spirit within the local body. You say, well, why? Because to restore means to bring back into existence or to bring back into use once again. The gifts of the Spirit have fallen into disuse for the most part, within the body of Christ. And we're not just talking about public use. When we say use, let's once again not be narrow-minded and think, well, it's just publicly. We're talking about the full scope of the operations of the Spirit. And in its full scope, we see the Bible teaches that it involves not only public use, but also private use. And for the most part, the activity will be in private use more so than in public use. Because, you see, we have become the temple of the living God. He dwells within us. It's not that He manifests Himself only when we get to church. He wants to manifest Himself in and through our lives every hour of every day. He wants to become actively involved in all the affairs of our lives. 
to take a father's place, a father's role within our lives, to lead us, to guide us, even in the small things of life. So let's remember, the statement is a positive statement. It's a beautiful statement that God is restoring the operation of the gifts to the body of Christ. But also, it implies that the enemy has been successful in removing this element of the supernatural from the church. And, of course, we do not want that to continue. Now, the supernatural in operation, we know, frustrates the work of Satan. It frustrates his work and limits what he can do. And for this reason, of course, he would want to silence the operation of the gifts. You see, we are not to be a natural intellectual people only. We're to operate in the realm of the supernatural. Because the Bible says it's not by the power nor the might of human strength that the will of God is done, that the work of God is established and fulfilled. It is by the anointing of the Spirit of God. Jesus Himself, the holy, immaculate, sinless, spotless Son of the living God, could not work the works of Him that sent Him apart from the aid and assistance and anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. For he said, the Spirit's anointing is upon me because he hath anointed me to do all these things. So he yielded himself to the Holy Ghost. And at times there were various manifestations of the Spirit. And as he cooperated with the Holy Ghost, he fulfilled the will of the Father for his life and ministry. And of course, we all thank God that he did. But we must be reminded of the fact that if Jesus... God personified, the Word personified, love personified, wisdom personified, needed to be anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, how much more? See, He was a perfect vessel. We are imperfect vessels. How much more do we need to have the operation of the Spirit of God manifested through our lives in order to fulfill the work and the will of God for all of our lives. Beloved, we must cooperate with God and not try to do things on our own. And that's why, once again, we want to continue teaching along these lines because we recognize that the enemy's focal point of attack is our faith. See, someone might say, well, how then has the enemy been successful in silencing the operation of the gifts? Well, his focal point of attack is our faith. If he can attack the faith of the child of God and inject fear when it comes to the operation of the Spirit of God, the, the manifestation of the Spirit of God, then what he can do is silence the gifts that already exist within the church and prevent any further bestowals because people will not be that interested in seeking these manifestations. Notice when it came to the gift of prophecy, the Bible said to covet to prophesy. As a matter of fact, it implies that the gift of prophecy should be the gift that should be most in operation within the local body. Because all should covet to prophesy. See, it places an emphasis of importance upon that particular gift. More so even than tongues and interpretation of tongues. So if that's true, then 
We should have that gift in operation more than anything else within the local body. All should be coveting to prophesy. If we were really cooperating with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God, what should we be coveting to do? Coveting to prophesy. But by definition, that means to speak to men, to edify them, to build them up, to encourage them. See? And that's why we, once again, have spent so much time on this particular gift. And I want you to see something here. This is what happens in 1 Timothy 4.14. When people enter into fear when it comes to the operations of the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit is silenced through neglect. And the gifts of the Spirit can fall into disuse. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Obviously, we can which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. But notice the first part, neglect not the gift that is in thee. We can neglect the gift. Through fear, people can neglect the gift. And when the gift is neglected, whether it be the gift of prophecy, speaking with other tongues, interpretation of tongues, whatever the gift may be, then it falls into disuse. So can you see then that faith is what makes these gifts of the Spirit operate, and that if the enemy attacks our life of faith and injects fear into the heart of the individual, then through neglect, the gift will fall into disuse. And that's exactly what he wants to do. Why? Because his work is frustrated when these are in operation, when the element of the supernatural is in manifestation within the local church and, of course, in the individual's life. His work is frustrated, and he's held in check. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. For this reason, the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, understanding his position in ministry, said, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. Now notice this is the second time. He's writing to him again. See, we can only surmise some of the things that were discussed beforehand. We can speculate and theorize when it comes to, well, what were they talking about? Can you imagine? What was Timothy talking to Paul about? Well, we have an indication here that Timothy entered into fear and also into neglect of the gifts. Because Paul told him not to neglect the gifts. And Paul also reminded him that there was a lot of faith in his mother and his grandmother. And so I'm telling you to stir up the gift of God once again, which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. For God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. Fear was holding him in check. Fear was frustrating the work of the spirit in his life. Maybe he just didn't want to miss God. Fear to step out for different obvious reasons. Whatever it was, we see here Paul was encouraging him not to silence the voice of the Spirit through neglect. Because then the operations of the Spirit would fall into disuse and the body would not benefit. And of course the enemy would not be frustrated and held in check. So he says, stir up the gift of God. That's what we were doing here just a bit ago. Stirring up the gift of God within us. How? The faith. God didn't give you the spirit of fear. Use your faith. 
the power of God, the soundness of mind, the well-disciplined mind that God has given you, use the equipment of the Spirit, stir up the gift of God in you. Why? So as to allow the Spirit of God to move within your midst. You can't do it, Timothy, in your own strength. I can just see Paul. You can't do it in your own power. Look, Timothy, I learned this by revelation. I was out there on the road. I was working, I thought, for God. I was doing wrong things. Everything was wrong. I wasn't cooperating with the Spirit of God. I thought I was. I thought I was doing God's service. I was killing Christians. I was throwing them in jail. I was persecuting the church of Christ. I was not cooperating with the Spirit of God. I meant well. My heart was right. I was sincere. But, Timothy, I was sincerely wrong. Don't think that just because you've learned some things from me and some of the others, that you can just go on and ignore the operations of the Spirit because ultimately it'll be the Spirit of God leading you, guiding you, and directing you in your ministry, Timothy. So I beg you, I beseech you, stir up the gift of God within you. You have intimacy with Him, stir up the gift of God. Frustrate the enemy, not the Holy Ghost. And use the soundness of mind that God has given you and the power of God and the love of God. And you'll see a turnabout in your ministry. And, of course, he also told, told Timothy about fighting a good warfare with the prophecies that went forth on him. Well, how does the enemy then produce fear? I'm glad you asked that question. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 will help us discover why. Or how? First, Timothy, or First Corinthians chapter twelve. How does the enemy inject fear into the hearts of people when it comes to the operations and the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit? Well, look at verse one. Now, concerning spiritual gifts or things that pertain to the Spirit, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand. Now, don't be ignorant of this, he's saying. I want you to understand this. This is very important. No man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. He's saying that when the Spirit of God is in genuine operation through the lives of people, the Spirit of God will never speak out anything against the Lordship of Jesus Christ or the person of Jesus Christ. How does the enemy inject fear? It's obvious that there were people within that body who were given over to false manifestations, counterfeit manifestations. You ever notice that wherever God does something, whenever God does something, the devil always has a counterfeit for it? False prophets. God has prophets. Satan has false prophets. The world has false prophets. There are people in the world today called seers. They supposedly give themselves over unto the supernatural, to the development of the spiritual. They can predict the future. They can predict things down the road. They can prophesy things. People go to them. They get their palms read, their cards read, and all these other things. The Bible says that they are false prophets. The Bible says that we are not to associate with such people. 
Jesus said, there'll be false prophets among you. Beware of them. You can recognize them. You can tell them by their fruit. The good man will will produce good fruit by producing good things in his life or by depositing good things into his life. But a person who is not of God will bring forth things that are not of God because there are no good deposits within his life. Paul warned of false prophets in the latter days. Peter warned of false prophets in the latter days. False prophets will falsely prophesy or produce counterfeit prophecy, counterfeit manifestations, counterfeit operations. And there were people in that church, the Corinthian church, standing up, speaking out supposedly by the Spirit of God, calling Jesus accursed. He really wasn't the Son of God. You mean just like that? No, probably with a thus saith the Lord. See, the false prophets did that also. Thus saith the Lord. And your, you know, your mind can wander a little bit because you can think about Judaizers coming in. Did you see that? Judaizers coming in who rejected Jesus, who denied Jesus. Standing up in the midst. Can you imagine this? In the midst of these people. Supposedly yielded to the Holy Ghost and then speaking out false things. Speaking out counterfeit things. And so because these things happen, not only at that level, the level of the prophet, but it also happens at the level of the lay person, you know, where, where the manifestation of the Spirit is, there will always be a counterfeit, a false manifestation because the enemy wants to get in and bring confusion and fear. And you see, when that happens, people then shrink back and they shy away. And they're fearful when it comes to stepping out to operate in the realm of the Spirit. And so it's better, some people think, just to back off so as not to be accused of being false or a counterfeit. And then what ends up happening is that the gifts fall into disuse. That there's just a few people that are given over to these things. And the fault is that people haven't studied to show themselves approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Because if, if we really understand the genuine, there won't be any fear in our lives because faith will, will take care of that. Where there's faith, there's no fear. We find out what the Word says about it, and we act accordingly to what the Word says, and then we'll not have any fear when it comes to yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And let me give you another scripture here. John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 14. We'll start with 13, because here's where he's talking about the Spirit of God and some of the things that He does. When the Holy Ghost is in manifestation through a yielded vessel... The Holy Ghost will glorify Jesus and call Him Lord. Never speak out against the Lordship of Jesus Christ and never speak out against the person of Jesus Christ. Always bring glory to God. Here in verse 13, chapter 16 of John's Gospel, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of Himself, but whatever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me. Don't be ignorant, He told them concerning the Holy Ghost and how He manifests Himself. When the Holy Ghost is in manifestation and in operation, He will glorify Jesus. He'll not bring attention unto men, unto man. He'll not exalt man. He'll exalt the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. He'll glorify Jesus. And that's what Jesus said He would do. There's a lot of things that he said he would do. Look at this. He shall receive of mine and show it unto you. So here we can see 
that if people don't recognize what the Spirit does, how the Spirit manifests Himself, and they just give themselves over unto any moving that they sense, they can yield themselves unto a wrong spirit, and that wrong spirit then can motivate them to speak out by utterance, but not divinely given by God. Uh, look at Second Corinthians here. In chapter, I believe, 11. Notice in verse 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest, by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which we have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with them. For I suppose I was not a wit behind the very chief, cheapest apostles. He goes on to explain some things. I want you to go up to verse 13. For such are false prophets or apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Jesus said, they'll appear to you outwardly very innocent in appearance but inside they're like wolves. See, the enemy doesn't just work totally from without. We can drive down the road and see someone who claims to be able to read poems and, and predict future and, and all that sort of thing. And we know to stay away from that sort of thing. But when it comes to the inner working of the church, when people are yielded over to wrong spirits, I believe the people of God are very naive and gullible. And do not know how to distinguish what is right and what is, what is wrong. Because the enemy himself can appear as an angel of light and produce and say some different things that on the outward appearance of them look right and right on. But inwardly, they're being motivated by wrong spirits to the destruction of the church and the exaltation of the work of darkness. And beloved, it's time that we rise up to a place of being educated so that when we begin to flow accurately with the Spirit of God, we will not, through a lack of knowledge, allow the enemy once again to come in and destroy what God is doing by His Spirit and through His Word. Let's recognize that even from within, there are those who believe that this is the way it should be. But once again, we've still got to be very careful. We've got to be very careful because not everyone that names the name of Christ is motivated by the right spirit. Because we see here, he says, you can receive another spirit, you can receive another gospel. And we don't want to do that. But this is what makes people back off. They become fearful. They don't want to get out there and step out because they hear these things and then they end up silencing the voice of the spirit through neglect. And the gifts of the Spirit fall into disuse. Let's just recognize that these things are true. And let's maintain this attitude. Let there be a counterfeit. Let there be false apostles, false prophets, false prophecies. 
It's not going to bother me. It's not going to bother me. There's counterfeit money. I know you're not going to stop using money just because there's counterfeit money, are you? Absolutely not. You're just going to use what's genuine. You're going to use what's real. And that's how we should be. And here's what we have to do. We have to be educated. We have to educate our spirits, develop them, and be taught in the Word of God so as not to allow the counterfeit or the false to be in operation within our midst. Turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. When God is moving by His Spirit and by His Spirit is manifesting Himself through a yielded vessel, He will glorify Jesus and exalt the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And, of course, there are certain other things that will also happen, and I'm going to explain some of those things so that we can better understand how to judge prophecy to determine whether it's motivated by the influence of the enemy, motivated by the desires of the human flesh, or truly the voice of the Spirit of God speaking through human channels to speak to men, to edify, to exhort, to comfort. And also to expose the hearts of those who believe not that they can fall before the Lord and repent of their sins. In this particular portion of Scripture, chapter 5, verse 19 of 1 Thessalonians, Quench not the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. You should highlight those scriptures in your Bible. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. And prove all things. Quench not, despise not, and prove all things. It's obvious that the abuse of the gift of prophecy at the church of Thessalonica caused the people to despise the gift of prophecy and cause the people to quench the moving of the Spirit. And through neglect, neglect, the gifts of the Spirit fell into disuse. And so once again, Paul, can you imagine this, this great man of God? Can you imagine... He goes there, establishes the work. He sets everything in order. He goes away to establish another work. And not very long, he's got to begin to write letters and tell these people, once again, look, you got off into air. What's happening there? I explained these things to you. I rooted and grounded you in these things. But now all of a sudden, what's happened? You're now quenching the Spirit. You're despising prophesying. Beloved, it's the same way today. You can get a body of believers to rise up to a place where there is a great manifestation of the Spirit of God. But if you ignore that, it will not be very long before that body of believers will fall back into complacency and silence the voice of the Spirit. Because we're living in a natural realm. And we've got to always be encouraged to rise up to a place where we stir up the gifts of God, stir up the work of God within our spirit, and encourage people to maintain that level of spirituality. It happened then. That's why he's writing back to these people. Quench not the Spirit. Don't despise prophesyings. But he didn't go on and say, well, now look, except every prophecy that goes forth as the infallible Word of God. He didn't say that. In verse 21, he said, prove all things and hold fast to that which is true or that which is good. What does he mean by that? Don't accept every prophecy as being the infallible Word of God. Now, don't quench the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to move. Now, don't despise prophesying. Allow people to prophesy because it's supposed to be most in operation. But now notice this. Now, prove all things. Prove. 
Judge and prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Whatever is not good, reject it. Whatever is good, accept it. Make note of this. There are two levels. There are different levels of inspiration when it comes to prophesying. There are two levels, or different levels. Let's put it that way, better than two. There are different levels or degrees of inspiration in prophecy. In 2 Peter chapter 1, here is a level. Look at verse 19. The highest level or highest degree of inspiration when it comes to prophecy revealed. This is called infallible prophecy. There are no flaws in it, no imperfections in it. Prophecy that is infallible, more sure to us than anything else that we've heard, is the sure word of prophecy that comes by revelation of the Scriptures. Look at chapter 1 of Second Peter and verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But there were false prophets also among the people. And we'll just stop that right there. I want to back up and see here that Peter is revealing that there is a more sure word of prophecy. This is a level or a degree of inspiration that came upon these men, these holy men of old, when the Spirit of God spoke the mind and the will of the Father through them, and they wrote these things down. That is the highest level of inspiration that can be made manifest or manifested in prophecy. And that's why Peter said we have the more sure word of prophecy. Now, notice that when Paul talked to the Corinthian church also, we could turn to it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you would, please. Paul writing here to the same a bunch of people, the Corinthian church, and he's talking to them about things that are difficult for men to understand. And he's talking about the Word of God or the revelation of truth. And in his writing, he's talking about not the wisdom of men, not with that, that which comes forth out of the heart of the mind of a man. We're not speaking the wisdom of men, but the wisdom of God in a mystery. Verse 7, second chapter, 1 Corinthians. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 12. Now we have, not, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we, might know, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. And what he is saying is the same thing Peter said. What I have learned, what I know, what I'm sharing with you through the vehicle of prophecy came by the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and the discerning of spirits. Through the revelation gifts by the Holy Ghost, I have penned these words that I am writing to you. 
That is the manifestation of the highest inspiration or level of inspiration when it comes to the gift of prophecy. He penned those things down. The Holy Ghost taught me these words. They did not originate in the heart of a man or in the mind of a man. They came from the Holy Ghost Himself. They are accurate. They are perfect. There are no imperfections. There are no flaws. This is the unadulterated, infallible Word of the living God. That is our more sure Word of prophecy. But there is also another level. And that is an infallible prophetic utterance that can go forth. But I want you to see it in Scripture. Look at Ezekiel chapter 13 with me. That does not originate just with God. There can be a dead mixture of the heart and the mind of the human being. And that's why when we operate in the simple gift or the, or the, the gift of prophecy in its simplest form, if we're not as yielded as we should be to the Holy Ghost, we could mix some of our desires, some of our emotions, some of our feelings, some of our wants in with what is being said or being brought forth. In Ezekiel chapter 13, look at verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts... Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. I know it happens at the level of the prophet, for we have it revealed to us. But, beloved, that's not isolated, an isolated thing. It can also happen at the level of the laity. If we don't properly understand what New Testament prophecy is all about, and if we maintain the thought and the idea that we can speak to predict, we can speak to, to foretell certain things, then we're going to have wrong ideas deposited into our spirit lives. We can be apt to yield ourselves over either to a wrong influence or be given over unto our own heart's desires and our own emotional desires. That's why we say very often that the spirit of the prophet is subject unto the prophet. In other words, it's not something that happens apart from the, the cooperation of the individual who is being used. And here we see the Lord was upset with these who call themselves prophets who were following their own spirit, their own desires, their own impulses, and yet having seen nothing. They didn't have anything revealed to them by God. Even though some things may come true, some predictions may come true, it is no evidence that they are of God. Because, you see, it still calls them false prophets. It's by their fruit. Are they in Christ? Have they been called anointed of God? Do they glorify Jesus? Are they following their own heart's desires and lusts or emotional desires and motivations and impulses? Or are they truly being moved? Holy men of old were moved by the Spirit of God and they brought forth in that level of inspiration the unadulterated and infallible Word of God. Thus saith the Lord. Now notice, 
Verse 4. O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the desert. You have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Verse 6. They have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, The Lord saith, speaking out of their own inspiration, own impulses, what they see. Now notice here, even by divination, what they can see through wrong spirits, influences of wrong spirits, speaking out certain things. And what they're saying is, the Lord saith. And the Lord didn't say it at all. Look at the next part. And the Lord hath not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. Have you not seen a vain vision? And have ye not spoken a lying divination? Whereas ye say, The Lord saith it, albeit I have not spoken. Therefore thus saith the Lord, thy, the Lord God, Because ye have spoken vanity and seen lies, Therefore, behold, I am against you, saith the Lord, and my hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and that divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel, neither shall they enter to the land of Israel, and ye shall not know that I am the Lord God. Now, it happens at that level. It can happen at every other level. We don't want to give ourselves over to our own impulses. We don't want to give ourselves over unto our own heart's desires and feelings. We want to separate ourselves from those things and be totally yielded vessels unto God, knowing that what is being brought forth out of our spirit is by divine inspiration. And the way we can judge some of these things, look at Acts chapter 20, and we're going to See about judging some of these things. Acts chapter 20. I'll show you this level first and then we'll see how we can judge some of these things. In Acts chapter 20, here we have true disciples of the Lord who are speaking supposedly by the Spirit, but they were speaking some things that were really their own desires. They were misinterpreting some things of the Spirit and speaking out some things out of their own desires because of their love for the Apostle Paul. In Acts 20, 23, the Scripture says, Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Underline bonds and afflictions. This is the Apostle Paul in verse 22. Notice this. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. The Apostle Paul had revealed to him by Jesus Christ that he was going to go before kings, before people in high authority, and share the good news of the gospel. The witness of the Spirit also came to him, saying there would be these bonds and afflictions everywhere he would go in every city. We see that revealed right here. But now go on to 21 and verse 4, and we'll see that well-meaning children of God here at the city of Tyre prayed for the Apostle Paul after they found him and gave themselves over supposedly to the Spirit of God. 
in their prayer time so as to help him in his journeys. And look at what the verse says. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul, through the Spirit, underline that, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. But now wait a minute. Paul just said he had to go to Jerusalem. Paul said the Spirit witnessed to him that bonds and afflictions would await him there. And not only there, but also in all cities. He didn't know everything that would befall him there, but he knew these things. And now these disciples begin to prophesy or speak out by the Spirit some things because of their love for him, and they tried to dissuade him from going. They didn't want, they didn't want him to go. You should not go up to Jerusalem. But go on down now to verse 13. These people were partly right and they were partly wrong. And Paul proved all things, accepted the part that was good and rejected the part that was bad. We'll start here in verse 11. And when Agabus came, he came unto them, he took Paul's girdle, bound his hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. Now notice once again, it's the Holy Ghost witnessing some things. This is going to confirm what Paul already knew. But these other people, they were given over to the Spirit. And through the Spirit, they said, Paul, you shouldn't go. Because we see some things that are going to happen to you there and you shouldn't go. They interpreted that what they saw meant he shouldn't go. And they tried to influence him not to go as they yielded themselves to the Spirit. Agabus comes along and says, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why was Paul so bold to ignore them? Why was Paul so confident in his going to Jerusalem, even though they supposedly said through the Spirit. Now, Agabus was not telling him not to go. Agabus, the prophet, was just confirming to his spirit some things he already knew. Going to be bound up in this manner. Bonds and afflictions await you at Jerusalem. The prophet brought forth this revelation. It confirmed what he already knew inside his spirit. But these others, through the Spirit, warned him, Don't go, Paul. You're going to get in trouble when you get up there. They meant well. They were sincere. But what they were saying was partly right, partly wrong. It was not the infallible Word of God that was brought forth through prophecy. Verse 12. When they heard these things, both we and they of that place, but saw not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That confirms what Jesus told him. You're going to suffer great things for my name's sake. That confirms what the Spirit of God already witnessed to him. Bonds and afflictions await you at Jerusalem. Look at the next verse, and this is amazing. And when he would not, and when he would not be persuaded, we see saying, "The will of the Lord be done." In other words, Paul is saying, "It's the will of the Lord that I go." I know you're trying to convince me not to go, because you're concerned about my well-being. Now, beloved, wouldn't you be concerned about somebody if you knew they were going to be afflicted and and bound? I mean, 
my parents, my family was concerned about me going to Tulsa. They thought only rattlesnakes and hurricanes were Tulsa. But I said, I just know that I 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 know I've got to go. Others who are just tremendous, beautiful people of God. You don't need to go. You don't need to go. You don't need to go. Do you see what I'm saying? We think that theirs were so spectacular. But you know what? They had the same feelings that we do. They didn't want Paul to go. And finally they conceded to the will of God. Didn't they? Paul's convinced. He had the more sure word of prophecy inside his spirit. So he proved all things. He accepted what was good. He rejected what was wrong. And he went on. Beloved, so that we never, never, never make a mistake when it comes to judging prophecy, write these things down. Number one. Does what is being prophesied or what is being said agree with the Word of God? 1 John 5, 8. <clears throat> and also 2 Peter 1, 19-21, the one that we just read over. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Does what is being prophesied or spoken out by the Spirit agree with the Word of God? Does it agree with the Word of God? And in 1 John chapter 5, I'll read the Scriptures. This is He that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of man, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. So in other words, the Spirit and the Word will always agree. The Spirit and the Word will always agree. So if the Spirit is speaking through a vessel of God, it will, He will not say things that disagree with the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the more sure word of prophecy. And so we can judge, therefore, and determine whether or not what is being said is is truly from the Lord by gaining insight into the Word of God, knowing what the Word of God says. And, beloved, many are guilty of not knowing what the Word of God says about a lot of different things. And so when someone comes along and supposedly speaks forth the spectacular, something that goes forth, everybody's taken in because, whoa, look at that person. Someone's given over to the Holy Ghost. Listen to what he's saying. One person did that. He had a supposedly tremendous ministry of prophesying to people. And one day some accusations were made. I mean, people were, they fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. This man, I mean, he was just, he had the enthusiasm. He had the, the charisma he was effervescent. I mean, he, he just spoke out, supposedly, by divine utterance. And you know what? Some accusations were made. He says, oh, it's a bunch of lies. Someone else comes along. He's, a family member says, you know, some of those things are true. You better watch out. pastor wouldn't accept it. He says, oh, this person's a great man of God. You know what happened? Finally, she saw to it. She had a recording of him saying certain things, played it for the pastor. They were a bunch of lies. He, he told the people to lie, encouraged the people to lie, spoke some things and said, there's nothing wrong with you lying and all that sort of thing. You can tell by his character. There were flaws. And finally, he, the pastor approaches this person who supposedly was mightily using this manifestation of the Spirit. And when confronted, he finally says, well, look, you're in the ministry. You know that you have to lie. Then this man's given over to a lying spirit and he's speaking out by utterance of the Holy Ghost. 
The sad part about it was most of the people were taken in by it. Make note of this second thing. The reason why they were taken in, number one, of course, if they didn't know the Word of God, that'd be one. But number two, the second way you can judge prophecy to determine whether or not it's of the Lord, you go by the witness of your spirit. See, in 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says we have an unction from the Holy One and we know all things. 1 John chapter 2 and the verse is verse 20. But you have an unction from the Holy One and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that, and that no lie is of the truth. Had they truly been listening to the Spirit of truth, there would have been a witness inside their spirit that would have let them know that something is off base here. They may have not known exactly what it was they were trying to detect. But they would have known that there was something wrong here in the pit of their belly. That something is wrong. And I've been there. I've been there. People will be, and you make note of this. Whenever people begin to speak out and you have something like a gnawing inside your spirit right in the pit of your belly. Like, it's like an, uh, an ugly feeling on the inside. A, a, a gnawing away inside your spirit. Something eating at you on the inside. That is the unction that he's talking about. And it doesn't matter who the person is. And it doesn't mean the person is evil either. Just what it means is something is not right there. And if something is not right there, then what you need to do is to begin to judge certain things. When it is the Spirit of God that is in manifestation, you'll have a release inside your spirit. You'll know inside you, on the inside, that this is of the truth. It bears witness with the truth, to the truth, and the witness of my spirit. See, that's why the Apostle Paul knew what to reject and what to accept. Because he knew the truth about his life. And beloved, I need to say this. A lot of people are not convinced about the will of God for their own lives. A lot of people are looking to others to, to tell them what to do and where to go. And that is wrong. Prophecy is never to be used to be giving direction and guidance to people for their lives. But when people have a lack of confidence in their own ability to walk with the Lord, to know what He would have them to do, they'll look for anything to get a, an answer to, for direction and, and leading and guiding in their life. And beloved, that is wrong. Paul knew. I could have had 150 people come to me in Tulsa, in Raymond Mount Training Center, and prophesy, thus saith the Lord, you should not be here. And by the 150th one, I'd be rolling on the floor laughing as loud as I could because I already had the more sure word spoken here on the inside. I was confident. I was sure. I knew it. There was no doubt. Do you see that? Paul was the same way. So it didn't matter to him what anybody said. Does it mean these people are wrong? No, they're concerned. They care about people. Their hearts are right. They're meaning. You know, they're well-meaning. But you see, beloved, are you ready? Your relationship with God is intimate. Very intimate. Personal. Be assured here. Prophecy will always confirm what you already know. Inside your spirit. It's not going to be your sole source of direction, leading, and guidance. So does it agree with what you have in your spirit? Okay. Number three, does it glorify Christ? We saw that scripture already. Does it glorify Christ? John 16, 14 said, when he comes, he'll glorify me. Does it glorify Christ? 
Does it exalt Christ? These people that operate in, in a supposed gift of prophecy where they can supposedly predict the future and they're not even born again. And yet they say that this is a gift from God. It's not a gift from God. And if they don't watch out, they, 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 they yield themselves to a wrong spirit. Some of it is a highly developed human spirit. A lot of it is yielding to a wrong spirit, a spirit of divination and all that. And they receive that kind of insight because they're involved in, in wrong spirits, familiar spirits that know things about people's lives. It must glorify Christ. Try every spirit. Determine whether or not they're of God. For greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. We'll overcome those spirits. We haven't received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we know the things that are freely given to us of God, and the things that the Spirit of God wrote through these great men. Now, does it also, number four, the last one, does it exhort, does it comfort, and does it edify? Does it exhort, does it comfort, and does it edify? Because the Scripture said that he that's speaking by the Spirit of God in prophecy will speak to men to exhort them, to comfort them, to edify, to build them up. And we can say it this way. Does it build them up? Edify means does it build them up? Does it exhort them? Does it stir them up? And does it comfort them? Does it cheer them up? Ask yourself the question. And if you, all you hear is speak, supposedly speaking out by divine inspiration, and it's doom and gloom and condemnation and all the things that bring people down, is that really of God? Is that the right spirit? Is God speaking out that way? So, fourthly, we see we can judge it by asking ourselves the question, did it, did it edify, did it exhort, did it comfort? And that way you'll know that this is a true use of the gift of prophecy. So make sure we learn the Word, develop our spirit, know what the Word says about Him glorifying Christ, knowing what the Spirit of God does and does not do, and does it exhort, edify, and comfort. And then, of course, we'll, we'll be sure that we don't get involved in the counterfeit or that which is false. Make the distinction between the prophet's ministry where you have the revelation that goes along with the gifts, the other gifts, the revelation, and recognize how that operates, and I believe there aren't going to have any problems. Do you feel that way? Amen. Now, what should be most in manifestation in our midst? The gift of prophecy. And if we be yielded to it, properly yielded to it, we won't have counterfeits. We won't have false manifestations. We'll speak to men to edify them, to exhort them, to comfort them. In some cases, we'll speak out to expose in the very hearts of people have spoken out and said some things in their lives that by the Holy Ghost, through revelation, will enable them to pour their hearts out to God and to be saved. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14 also. Amen. Glorify Jesus. It'll just, you know, uplift and build up the body of Christ. It'll do a great work. It'll, I believe, frustrate the work of the devil also and keep him in check in manifesting himself within our midst. Amen. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.